Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Today we um, today brings us to the end of a five-week journey through the Bread of Life Discourse. As we learned earlier, this is one of the longest, most important teachings of Jesus' entire ministry. We drilled into that for the last few Sundays, and it brings us to the close of the day. And in our series close today, it closes with a revelation, a revelation and a call to personal commitment. Anyone who's sitting here today who's lived any length of time on this planet has surely discovered that people can be very fickle. One moment they're singing our praises or singing your praises, and the next moment, they want nothing to do with you. It's that old what have you done for me lately story that um, finds Jesus today dealing with this situation in these closing verses of this chapter. I ask you to keep in mind today that Jesus, as we know, has been traveling with thousands of fans for many days, weeks, some of them probably months by this time. And today, with just a very few words, the fans start walking away. Why do they disappear? Why do they leave after following for days, weeks, maybe months? Because today, my friends, Jesus challenges them to a deeper level of commitment. Today, the rubber meets the road. and Many of these so-called fair-weather fans of Jesus hit the road as well. 
So I ask you to join me on the screen behind me or in your bulletin, and we're going to pick it up today beginning at verse 60. It starts right there. When many of his disciples heard it. Well, let's pause right there. Heard what? Well, they're talking about the it right here, and they're talking about the words that Jesus said that we heard last week in verse 53, where Jesus said these words that sends them scattering. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Of course, we know that Jesus here is speaking metaphorically. He's saying that if you cannot abide in me and I in you, as your Lord and Savior, as the center of your life, then you can't be my disciple. Well, the crowd responded in verse 60. He continues by saying, This is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. At that moment, a revelation of their hard, self-centered hearts comes before Jesus. Verse 61 continues, But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? And what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? Jesus is saying right here, What if you saw Me, the Son of Man, which is one of Jesus' favorite messianic titles for Himself, is taken from the book of Daniel. What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to heaven back to the presence of the Father? Would that help you? Would that help change your mind, your attitude, your outlook, or your decision to commit to a new, deeper level of discipleship today? Jesus was reminding them right here of who He is and where He came from. Since you take offense at my words, He's saying, would that help you understand this invitation that's before you today that's so critical? And then Jesus opens these words right here in verse 63. It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Well, folks, I am quite certain that we could all come up here today and give a personal testimony to support Jesus' words right here that the flesh is no help to us at all. Because we know that the Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. When we're led by those things that look good, feel good, or boost our egos, folks, we're heading for trouble. I'm sure we could all agree on that. Jesus tells us here today, when we are led by those things that look good and feel good, that boost our ego, we are heading down a dangerous road. He tells us today that the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's saying here that the spirit reveals our need for a new life, which then will reveal to us the truth. And they needed that. He went on and continued in verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. Let me pause right here a second. I remember telling you three weeks ago this entire Gospel of John, I've said it three times in the last five weeks, has two major themes. One is the deity of Jesus. The other is about believing. And we hear that in the 20th chapter. This is what this book is about. So he tells them here, there are some of you who do not believe. He goes on to say, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was 
who would betray him. And of course, right here, he's referring to Judas. He goes on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And I ask you to remember back, but a couple of weeks ago, we opened up verse 44, and Jesus said in that verse, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. And he was saying right then, folks, that the natural disposition of the human heart in its selfish brokenness is to run from God, not to come to God. But as the chosen that are sitting here today, the chosen people of God, we know that we've been drawn here by God. We may think that it was our own devices that brought us here or something we decided to do. You were drawn here by God. And it was by God alone. And it was at that point in verse 66 that it tells us that many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. After hearing Jesus today say those words, the crowd turned and walked away. Then Jesus, feeling the sting of rejection, because that's what he would have been feeling at that moment, looked and said to his twelve, verse 67, Do you want to go as well? What a human moment this is right here. Do you want to go as well? Are you going to leave me too? What he's saying right here, friends, is are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or a follower? The word fan is, de- is actually defined as an enthusiastic admirer. And Jesus is saying, is that what you are? This is a riveting moment of rejection right here. It reveals also Jesus' tender humanness toward us and his desire to bring us into a new relationship to him. He could have said, okay, go ahead then, you'll burn in hell. Hit the road. But in loving tenderness, he didn't do that. He turns to them and says, are you going to leave me too? Before we move on to Peter's amazing profession of belief, which is what it is, in a new level of commitment, I want to take a moment right here to dive into this topically on the topic of rejection. Direction, my friends, is revealed in this conversation between Jesus and his fair-weathered fans. And it's something we certainly are going to have to deal with in all of our lives. All of us are going to deal with rejection at some level at some point. And Jesus provides some very good teaching on dealing with this right here in John chapter 6. And if anyone knew anything about rejection, Jesus knew a lot about it. He knew about pain, sorrow, and certainly rejection. In fact, he's probably one of the most rejected human beings that ever walked on this earth and certainly walked on this earth as God, knowing that rejection. He was rejected from his very birth. And as we well know, he would cry out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? It's the only time right there that he he refers to his father as God. It was a deep moment of pain and rejection. But he felt rejection today as well, folks. We all know that Jesus got what we deserve so we could get what we don't deserve. And that is the bread of life. The bread of life that leads us into eternal life with our Creator. We learned two weeks ago that what oxygen is to the body, the bread of life is to our very souls. Jesus certainly knew a lot about dealing with rejection. But it never affected His decisions. Not one time did He be rejected 
by the people around him? Did it change his mind, change his direction toward his father, change his love for us, or change his love for Peter, who's going to reject Jesus, as you well know, at the Garden of Gethsemane after making this profession here today? But it never changed his love for him or us. It's God's children born out of love to love others. Love is our greatest need. It's our greatest need on this side, which makes rejection one of man's greatest fears. We fear rejection, folks. Would you believe that what I'm doing right this minute, which is speaking in public to you, is the number one fear of people on earth? They fear it more than death? Seinfeld made a, a skit about it one time. He goes, you know what? The people at this funeral had rather be in the casket than doing the eulogy. <laughs> that's, that's what is recorded. It's the number one fear. And why is that? Because we fear rejection. We, were fear, we fear it by one person. We, it magnifies it when you're in front of a whole bunch of people. So don't reject me this morning. I don't want to have a complex today. Good Lord, but not Jesus. <laughs> rejection has many forms. Whether it's on the playground as a kid, or in a job loss as an adult, or in a relationship, or in a divorce decree, or through discrimination in numerous forms that we see today. Rejection is one of the most painful things that we deal with on this side of the veil. Rejection is grounded in fear and is one of the two most powerful emotions that we deal with as human beings. If not dealt with, if we don't deal with rejection, it can cause isolation, anger, loneliness, addiction, aggression, despair, decrease our health, also increase suicide. So I was studying that this week. Friends, teen suicide is up in our nation 81%. Do you know why a lot of that is? Because of the feeling of rejection through social media. Rejection is painful. And it's one of the most difficult things we go through. The fear of rejection can cause us to avoid risk. Not Mike risk. <laughs> it can cause us to avoid risk. Or taking new opportunities. Or signing into new ministries. To avoid, it can help us and, and causes us to avoid social interaction. To avoid commitments of all kinds. All out of the fear of failure, which is brought about by rejection. Friends, the, the fear of rejection, in my opinion, has been one of the greatest travesties in the church in the last 40 years. Because a lot of people will stand here today, and they are standing in the churches today, more focused on entertaining someone than bringing the hard truth of the gospel. That's all focused and comes out of the fear of rejection and not filling buildings. Rejection leaves lifelong scars, and many people, probably some in this room, have been deeply wounded by it. And guess what, folks? The enemy loves to use rejection in our lives, to derail us from God's plan for our lives. Satan, my friends, is the hurt whisperer. He whispers in your mind that you're not wanted, and you're not good enough, or you're not equipped, or you're a loser. When Satan tries to remind you of your past rejections, you remind him of his future. He doesn't have one. Those dangerous thoughts, though, 
can destroy us. And they can fester into resentments, which is a whole other sermon I'd love to break into today. But resentments will destroy us. Those thoughts can cause us to be overly sensitive, overly dependent upon the approval and acceptance of others, which sets up a problem. It can also cause us to compromise, compromise our moral standards, or even make pastors compromise, like I said, the gospel, to promote a soft gospel. Rejection, folks, can have lasting consequences, so we need to learn how to overcome it. And Jesus teaches us a thing or two about that in this sixth chapter, this chapter we've been in. He provides some comfort and hope in this chapter to help us deal with life's rejection. It occurred back on verse 37, but I'm going to remind you what he said. He said there, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I will never reject. Folks, people are going to reject you. Friends, families, loved ones, businesses. You're going to get rejected. We've got to get used to it. The fact of the matter is, we need to remember at all times that Jesus will never reject us. He will never leave or forsake us. In fact, in Hebrews 13, it tells us that. God says, I will never leave or forsake you. That the Lord is my helper is our response. The Lord is my helper. I will fear no man. What can he do to me? The way we deal with rejection in this life is to seek our approval. Seek our approval, our identity, and our meaning as true disciples through God's unconditional love for us. I'll remind you right here that it was only the love of God that got Jesus through the rejections he dealt with in his life. And like Jesus, we too should expect those rejections and surround ourselves with believers true disciples who love us for who we are. And we need to learn to accept rejection. We become a very sensitive, thin-skinned people. That's, that sets up failure. If you think everyone's going to like you, that is a false expectation. And guess why these people rejected Jesus today? Because of a false expectation of what they thought the Messiah was going to do and what he was going to be. They wanted something for nothing. They wanted a welfare state to take care of them, and they saw that in Jesus. And today, when he puts the commitment before him, they're walking. False expectations set up failure in our, in our lives. Do not ever forget we are the chosen of God and that he loves us under any circumstance. Jesus certainly knew a lot about this, and he knew we were going to have troubles and tribulations in this lifetime, and he knew we'd be rejected. But he tells us in the 16th chapter of John, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We are either overcome in this life, we're either overcome in this life, or we are overcomers. And we are overcomers, my friends, only in Jesus, only through the bread of life. What oxygen is to our bodies, the bread of life is to our souls. All right, I've beat that horse a while. Let's get back on course with the discipleship left. Well, we only got one mile left, so hang on, we're going to get through this. <laughs> so once Jesus revealed to the crowd that they had to take him in as the bread of life to eat his flesh and drink his blood, which means to internalize him, 
as Lord and Savior into our lives to start a deep personal relationship with Him, that's when they began to walk. That was just too hard for them to comprehend. It required a commitment. And they just weren't ready for that. They truly couldn't understand it, but they certainly weren't ready to make a commitment. They were something there for something else. So many, as we know, turned and walked away. But notice here that Jesus doesn't chase after them. He doesn't send the disciples after them. He doesn't start a new evangelism program or anything like that. He doesn't soften the message. The reason He doesn't do that is because He loves us too much to leave us like we are. He was looking for true disciples who wanted a relationship with Him. A true, deep, meaning relationship with Him. That were fully committed to a life-changing, world-changing mission that was going to happen through Him and through each of you. But the fickle crowd revealed the hardness of the human heart that day. So Jesus then turned to His twelve and asked, Well, are you going to leave Me too? And it was then that Peter restored Jesus' hope, hope in His Father and His disciples at Jesus' moment of rejection when the fair-weather fans began to walk away. Peter shined. He tells us in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love this. This is a personal conversation between two people at a critical moment in their lives and in history. And it means as much to us today as it did the moment these words were said. Peter's words were simple, yet they're profound. His words revealed that his belief was from the heart. They also revealed the fact that, you know something? He had weighed the options. He had thought through this before this moment got to him. Peter was saying, Lord, which means Master. We believe, we know that there's no one else. There is no plan B. We know you alone meet our daily needs. And more importantly, you are the only one who can meet our most important need. And that is our need for forgiveness. Peter signed on that day. He signed on, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You're the only one that has words to eternal life, and we have come to believe. True believing and commitment. True disciples are promised something that is priceless, my friends, that will nourish and sustain our souls daily all the way through eternity. But I want to point out today that there was one other group in the crowd that day. And that would have been the Pharisees, because they would have been there. They've been with him everywhere he's gone to this point. And as Peter's words comforted Jesus... In his moment of rejection, they were also convicting the Pharisees who were standing there at that moment. Hebrews 11.26 tells us, For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Mm. That's a damning verse right there. And it convicted those Pharisees. And it also would have encouraged any one of us today to recognize there comes an important day in our lives. 
The eternal destiny of countless souls was determined that day and still is every day on this earth. You see, the closing of this entire chapter, 70 verses, comes down to belief and commitment. And there still comes a commitment day in the life of every fan of Jesus. So let me close today by asking you a simple question that has a eternal, an eternal consequence to it. Are you a fan or a follower? Are you a fan or a follower? Are you walking with Jesus or walking away from the bread of life? What in your life could possibly be worth walking away from Jesus for? What lie might you be believing? What habit, hang up or hurt might be preventing you from becoming a true follower of our Lord Jesus Christ? What past rejection? What resentment? What fear could be preventing you from believing and fully committing to a new level of discipleship? Friends, Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Let us pray. Dear Father God, as we come before you this day and before your holy table, Lord, we ask you to nourish us with the bread of life. And Father, we ask that as we internalize you into our lives, that we would recommit our lives this day to a new level of commitment. That as we have prayed into this new season before this church, this body of believers, it will launch this coming month. Lord, stir within our hearts the desire to know you and to love you and to commit to you at a new level, that by doing so we will be blessed knowing that we are strengthened by you and you are walking with us in this journey and that you will continue that walk with us all the way through eternity. We ask and pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.